don't get any ideas. Anyway, Dan, it's great to have you sharing with us this morning, and uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that your word is, uh, your word brings words of life. That as we gather here this morning, as Dan shares from your word, Lord, we also recognize that your spirit is here with us. And we just ask that you give us ears to hear what it is that you have to say. Speak to us, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Leo. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you uh, here. And can I just start by thanking you for being here? Because you don't have to be here, do you? There's a thousand other places you could be uh, this morning. I know Beth was very keen to be at home watching the highlights of the Rugby World Cup. Um, and I had to, you know, pull her out the front door. But there's loads of other places in a world of so many choices, so many distractions, but you chose to be here. And I just want to, to recognize that and thank you um, for, for being here. And for the first time in the 21st century, we are not going to be using the screen behind me. So I'm going to be encouraging you to, to just listen. Um, and, uh, and I hope uh, what I have to say this morning will be uh, encouraging and insightful. So as a wise man once said, I believe it was Alan Partridge, God's everywhere, God's like CO2. And for those of us here this morning who are Christians, who are believers, we would kind of understand that, wouldn't we? That idea, that concept that God is everywhere, that God is always with us. And uh, indeed, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28 verse 20, Jesus, God with skin on, says to his disciples and by extension says to us, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, And this morning, through the lens of the gospel, books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, I want to identify three key environments, three key seasons in which Jesus demonstrates how he is with us. And the goal of this message, I hope, is to bring something of the relief, the reassurance, and the revelation of God's presence. Um, So as I say, uh, do feel free to to follow in your Bibles if you have them. It's not going to be on the screen. Um, I would encourage you to, to listen. So firstly, the first season is the party. This can be found in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, the very famous story of Jesus turning water into wine. So the first environment, the first season is the party, and I will just read that account to you from John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best 
until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. Jesus is with us at the party. There is a thought in study and scripture that where and when Jesus does something for the first time, that is significant. The first mention, the first act. The first miracle of Jesus, the first manifestation of his divinity is at a party, at a wedding. Jesus turns water into wine at a party. His first miracle is making drinks at a party. Here's my point. Jesus is with us at the party. Jesus is with us in the celebrations of life, such as celebrating baptisms this morning. Jesus is with us in the successes of life. In fact, as we see in this story, in this account of Jesus turning the water into the wine, he may have played a part, seen or unseen, in bringing about that success or of increasing that success. When we're in a season of celebration and success, Jesus is with us. At the party, Jesus brings joy. That's the easy one. The second season, the second environment is the storm. And this can be found in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. The famous story again of Jesus calming the storm. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. And I'll again just read that to you. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus is with us in the storm. Some of you, I know, own boats. You may have actually been in a real storm. We went to Florida in August and narrowly avoided a hurricane. But I think this is symbolic of other storms as well, isn't it? You may be going through a storm right now in your life. A relational storm, a financial storm, a medical storm. The waves of life are crashing around you, around your boat, your life, as it were. The circumstances are mounting. Two quick observations from this story. Number one, Jesus is asleep at first, isn't he? What does this mean? That he hadn't had enough coffee? I would suggest it means Jesus is in control. If you can sleep during a storm, that takes a certain level of confidence, that takes a certain level of assurance. 
And the second observation from this story, what does Jesus do when he wakes up? Does he scream and panic? Is he desperately wrestling a life jacket on? No, Jesus demonstrates his power and his divinity by rebuking the storm, calming the storm, bringing peace to the storm. Here's my point. Jesus is with us in the storm. Jesus is with us when the waves are crashing and the circumstances are mounting. It may feel on days like he's asleep at first. Nothing happens, nothing changes, nothing improves. But Jesus is there nevertheless. A peaceful, powerful presence in the storm. Two things I can promise you about storms. Number one, they will come because we live in a fallen, broken, imperfect world. And number two, they will pass. No storm lasts forever. All storms pass eventually. But hear me correctly in this. Storms are still terrifying. Storms still do damage. And storms may lead to unanswered questions. Notice in this story that we've just read that the disciples don't get an answer as to why they went through the storm. But when we are in those times and seasons, when we are in a storm, whatever that may look like for us, Jesus is with us. We are not alone and we are not forgotten. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In the storm, Jesus brings peace. And thirdly and finally, the third environment, the third season, the road. So this can be found in John chapter 4 and uh, verses 4 to 14. And I'm also just going to read verses 25 to 26 as well. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is, that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then just jumping to, to verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, 
I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus is with us on the road. They say, don't they, there's that old adage, life's a journey. Maybe you're not in a party season at the moment. Maybe, thankfully, you're not in a storm season at the moment. But symbolically, in many ways, we are all on the road. We are all traveling through life. The Samaritan woman is there, literally traveling on the road as she collects water from a well. And she's there with her questions and her doubts, her assumptions, her anxieties, her hopes. And just like her, if we're honest, we're traveling through life with our questions and our doubts and our assumptions, anxieties and hopes. And sometimes being on the road, traveling through life can be mundane, uneventful, like collecting water from a well. It has to be done, but it's not very exciting. Here's a key observation from that story. Jesus approaches the woman. She doesn't approach him. What does this symbolize? This is God approaching humanity. This is God stepping towards us. God is the initiator. We, humanity, are the responder. The basis of every other religious faith in the world is humanity trying to reach God. Christianity is unique and different. The basis of Christianity is God reaching for humanity, God approaching humanity. Here's my point. Jesus is with us on the road. Jesus travels with us. Jesus approaches us. Jesus meets us where we are at. For the Samaritan woman, it was collecting water from a well. For us, that could be the fruit and veg aisle in Tesco. Could be sat on the bus. Could be in the office at work. Could be picking up the kids from school. Jesus meets us in the ordinary, the mundane, and the everyday. And like the Samaritan woman, we may not always notice him or recognize him at first, but he's always there. And sooner or later, his presence will become evident. Sooner or later, his presence will invite a response, a response to the righteousness that he offers. What is righteousness, you might say? Righteousness means being right with God. It means, it means being righteous and blameless in the eyes of God. Despite our sin, despite our shame, despite our failure, righteousness is the position we adopt because of our faith in who Jesus was and is and what he has done. So how will we given this position? Because Jesus took a position on a Roman cross and was crucified 2,000 years ago on a hill outside the city of Jerusalem. So why does that matter? Because when God's perfect law is broken, as it has been by humanity's sin, someone has to pay. But rather than make us, humanity, pay, Jesus, God with skin on, sacrificed himself on a Roman cross, his life for our life, 
in order that we, humanity, could be forgiven, restored, and reconnected to a perfect and holy God. Meaning that we can and will experience the eternal life that Jesus speaks of in verse 14 of the passage we've just read. The water I will give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. On the road, Jesus brings righteousness. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Does that ring any bells? These three stories, these three environments that I have described, of course, align beautifully and perfectly with how Paul then describes the kingdom of God in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. In these three environments, in these three seasons, party, storm, and road, Jesus reveals, demonstrates, and reminds us how his presence brings the kingdom of God, a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, I've identified and communicated in the very short time we have together this morning just three environments, just three seasons, which I hope at some level you've been able to connect with and relate to. And if you read this book, the Bible, you will find that there are dozens and dozens of environments that Jesus steps into further revealing, further demonstrating the kingdom of God. But what I hope I have communicated very briefly this morning is a spark, a spark for you personally, a spark for your family and friends, a spark for your future. Because whatever environment you are in this morning, whatever season you're in this morning, party, storm or road or somewhere in between, I promise you that Jesus is present Jesus is active, Jesus is alive, and Jesus is with you. Offering forgiveness for yesterday, strength for today, and hope for tomorrow. I would just like to um, invite the worship team back up onto the stage if they're able to do that. And I'd also like to invite the, the prayer team forward as well. And in a moment, I'm just going to ask you if you would like to receive prayer from the, the prayer team that will be down here. Perhaps you have connected with or can relate to one of those seasons I've described, particularly the season of being in a storm. Now would be a great opportunity to, to come and receive prayer for that. Um, are there any, anybody from the prayer team? That would be great. Thanks, Joanne. Fantastic. If it's just Joanne, you're going to have to form an orderly queue. Thanks, Bill. And I will just um, finish with this. Theo's already outlined a number of activities and events that are coming up over the next few months. And as mentioned, Alpha. I came across this fantastic quote from C.S. Lewis the other day. C.S. Lewis, one of the great intellectual minds of the 20th century, best known, of course, as the author of the Narnia stories. And he said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. 
Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. In November, we will be running another Alpha course, and Alpha, for those that don't know, is basically an invitation to a conversation about Jesus and his relevance in our life and world today. It's very relaxed, it's very informal, it involves free food, which is always a winner. If you would like to find out more information about Alpha, perhaps from something I've said this morning, something you've heard, particularly um, Evie and Katie and, and what they shared with their baptisms, perhaps that spark that I mentioned a few moments ago, perhaps that's been lit. Do come and talk to me, talk to um, Phil as well, Theo, Flora hosting, if you would like to find more uh, about Alpha, which begins in November, and you would be very, very welcome to join us for that and to discover and learn more about what I've been talking about this morning. Thank you very much.